This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. How's everyone doing this morning? I was actually pretty good for a 9 a.m. service. You guys excited to be in the house of God today? Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, you've been lifting. And then when they go, no, I don't work out, go, I mean the name of Jesus, because you are looking spiritually strong. No one did it, so clearly, that was stupid. Anyway, my name is Pastor Trenton. If I have not met you, I have the privilege of being youth and worship pastor here at Revan Life Church, um, and I'm excited for today's talk. I will be honest that, I always say this, like I always struggle. It's always a burden coming, putting messages together, but this message feels heavy on my heart. I told someone the title before service, and their response was, ooh. Like, that's like, that's like not always a great thing. So anyway, I'm excited. I believe that God's going to uh, move, but I'm going to just warn you up front. It's going to be very much of a teaching today. Um, and I hope to just challenge your hearts. I hope that it speaks to emotions and things you've been feeling in your life. But more importantly, I just pray that God changes your heart. I mean, that's my job as a pastor is to just be a vessel to try to help shift that. So if that's good, say amen. Amen. All right. So a couple things real quick before we jump in. First of all, on your um, seat, there was a flyer for Outflow. You've heard it said a bunch of times, join Outflow. If you don't know what that is, um, come ask one of us. Basically, in, in short lingo, it is us leaving the building and going out into our community and being what the church is supposed to be and impact our community the best as possible. Um, and so we're going to be doing some service projects. We're canceling service. So I encourage you to sign up. That um, form on your, sh- um, your seat um, is super important. And that's because we also believe at Relevant Church, connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. And so I'm there. One of the best ways that we can reach our world is through missionaries. And so we're going to bless some missionaries by sending them care packages. So on the seat, you can see a list of items, or you can just donate the money to the church, and we'll buy the items. But we want to bless them. And so I encourage you to do that. How many says that's a good word? Good word. Come on, that's a good word. When I asked how everyone was doing, you guys responded really well, and everyone's kind of like, okay, so let's, let's keep the energy up here. Anyway, um, last thing, Pastor Rhonda, you guys have heard, most of you, unless you're visiting today and you have no idea who Pastor Rhonda is, that is our lead pastor's wife. Um, she's a phenomenal leader in person, and she um, is battling cancer right now, and she had her first treatment of chemo on Friday. Um, and so it was, uh, it was rough leading up to it. I won't go into all the details. I'll let her share, but it was just emotional. Um, I told the, the uh, prayer team, or our worship team this morning that in some ways you can compare it like the first day of going to school, except for the not the excitement part. You remember like going to school and you're like nervous. You're like, I don't know who like my friends are going to be. I don't know what this is going to look like. Anyone remember that feeling? Pastor Rana went into chemo going, I don't know what this is actually going to look like all the way. I don't know what room I'm going to be in all this. So she felt a lot of agitation um, leading up to it, but God gave her so much peace on Friday morning when she went in and, and um, she's actually doing fairly well. There's definitely effects um, this morning. Even she texted me and Allie and just said, Hey, I'm not doing so good. I slept terrible and um, just, yeah, not doing super great. So let's be praying for her. I'm going to pray for her in just a second, but just continue to reach out and show her love. Pastor Kevin's with her, taking care of her. Um, and so we're just going to keep, keep supporting them, right? That's a good word. Amen. You can just keep saying that's a good word because I'm going to need it here all day. All right. So we're going to pray for them in just a second. But anyway, I want to talk to you around the subject today of, uh, I just forgot my title, things to remember while living in a godless society. I already got those again. So I don't know if it's going to be a good word, honestly. I'm just, I'm hoping that uh, this challenges your heart. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but I have definitely over the last 18 months struggled a lot seeing different things going on in our nation. And um, 
Today, I don't want to take a political stance in any regard, and so I tried adequately in my manuscript to not do that, and so I hope I don't step on anyone's toes. My goal literally today is to give you reminders of basically who God is and why you need to be putting God first, regardless of what's going on in society. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and I was supposed to preach um, March 28th, so a while ago, and then our whole staff had to get COVID, which was awesome, and so I didn't end up preaching. Um, but this passage of Scripture stuck out to me two months ago. And so for two months now, it's just been on my heart. And so today I want to unpack it for you. And I'm warning you, it's going to be a large chunk of scripture. I told Allie last week, she had quite a bit of scripture and she actually did an amazing job, right? Last week unpacking that. And then I told her this morning, I was like, babe, like I like, I literally have just as much, if not more scripture. So I'm going to try to do as good a job as Allie did unpacking it for you today. Um, but anyway, so I just want to preface this, 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 um, this morning, cause I don't want, I don't think people will come up and say this, but I want you to know my heart. I don't want you to think that I don't believe God can bring revival to our nation. Um, Because in doing this, in saying reminders, I'm coming from the place of our society is godless and is going to continue to be godless. Yes, I have faith. God can send revival. I will be honest and humble enough to say I don't pray for it enough. I pray for it up here, but I need to pray for it more in my own personal life. I just need to pray more in general. Anyone there with me? Um, But today I don't want to come across as gloom, doom, and despair. I really want to come across um, and really just give you some practical reminders to hopefully help you navigate, to help you stop next time you judge um, how a group of people is viewing something um, politically charged. Or next time you read the news and agitation comes, I want to give you some reminders that hopefully you can stop and step back and go, this is how I'm going to respond it says. Does that sound good? Cool. All right, so we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 8 and chapter 12. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to that, um, and I know people don't bring um, hard copy Bibles like ever anymore. I'm going to put a challenge out there. How about you start doing it? I read something this week actually about how few Christians actually read their Bible now these days. It made me sad um, because I don't read mine enough and I'm a pastor. So, um, but bring your Bible. And if you don't have your Bible, pull it up on your phone. How about you just don't read it off the screen? The screen's of the devil um, in this place. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, Maybe revival happened if you read it word for word yourself. No, anyway, so if you want, turn in, turn in your Bible with me to cha- uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. But real quick, I want to give some context here. Um, and every week I try to do this. And over these last couple of weeks, even though we haven't been in a series as a church, we, if you've noticed, we've been in this kind of theme of looking at Old Testament stories that have powerful principles for our life. Has anyone noticed that? Like each week we keep doing that. And this week's the same exact thing. So 1 Samuel chapter 8 um, and 12, I want to give you context. So backing up all the way to Genesis really quick, we see in the book of Genesis, God comes to a man named Abraham. And I said this a couple weeks ago when I preached, but God comes to a man named Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to make you a nation and this nation's going to represent me. And through this nation, I'm going to bless the rest of the world. And looking back now, we can see actually through this nation, we got Jesus Christ, like Lord in flesh that saved our life, right? He did really did bless the whole world. So he comes to Abraham and says, hey, I'm going to make you this chosen nation. But he says, hey, but before you get to this land I'm going to take you to and all these different things, actually they were in the land. But there's going to come a time where you're actually going to end up in in a foreign nation in bondage for 400 years, right? And we know they end up in Egypt. God's right. Um, the, The Israelites, God's nation cries out to God and says, God, like we need your help. God sends Moses and delivers them. Moses delivers them um, and starts taking them to the promised land. They end up not having enough faith to get into the promised land, right? How many people know the story? Um, Okay. So those online just heard like, that's all they heard. So I'll back up for a second. So they made a mistake and they were, uh, they didn't make it to the promised land. They wandered for 40 years. Okay. Everyone knows that. 
So basically what happens is in that wandering, Moses makes a massive mistake, and Moses is not allowed to go into the promised land either. Um, either? Either? Either. I can speak. Um, anyone just, like, don't know what they're saying sometimes? That's me. So he ends up not making the promised land. He hands over the reins of leadership to Joshua. And this is where, if you were here a couple weeks ago, and Pastor, I'm giving you a lot of context because I want you to understand the gravity of the story we're talking about today. But if you remember Pastor Larry, he talked about Joshua leading them over the Jordan River into the promised land. Does everyone remember this? Okay. So they made Make it into the promised land, and throughout Joshua's lifetime, they end up going through and um, actually overtaking much of the land from the, the countries that or the cities and nations that were there. They go through and they clear out the promised land, right? And they end up taking over and, and many of it. But the, um, the Bible says they actually didn't take over all of it. Then Joshua dies, and then something super sad happens, and there's no leader left to lead the nation. And so that's where we pick up in Judges 2, which is not my passage. So again, I'm just reading a lot to you. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew nothing um, of the Lord nor what he had done. So basically, they did a bad job passing on who God was. Then it says this, the Israelites did, Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served other gods. They forsook the Lord. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they, forsook, um, because they forsook him. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around who, um, whom they were no longer able to resist. And whenever, whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them. And this is God's covenant. He said, hey, you follow me. I'll take care of you. You do your own thing. You're on your own. So they're on their own at this point. But then we know in God's graciousness, it says they were distressed. And then the Lord, because he's gracious, raised up judges. And how many people remember like the judges, Samson, all these guys, who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet when... um, Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. Again, denying God. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge. He saved them out of the hands of the enemies as long as the judge lived. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. And so what I just described to you is, if you know, is the sin cycle. So for almost like between three and 400 years, Israel just kept doing this. They would rebel against God. They would face the consequences. They would repent. God would save them. They would rebel against God, they would face the consequences, they would repent, God would save them. And it's over and over and over again. So the story we're about to read is in the middle of this cycle. They're living amongst godless nations, and they themselves are trying to push God out of society. God's chosen people, trying to push God out of their own society. And that's where we pick up in our story today. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we see a guy by the name of Samuel who is actually the last judge of all these judges. There was multiple judges in this time frame. So here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's, of, um, or as Israel's leaders. The name of his first, um, my goodness, his, the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes, and they perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at, Ram, at Ramah, Ramah, and they said to him, you are old. That's a great way to start off a conversation, right? You're old. Um, like, no one wants to hear that. And your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint to us a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said this, um, when they said, give us a king, this displeased Samuel. So he went and prayed to God. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, which sounds a lot like our society today. As they have 
done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day. They've forsaken me and served other gods, and they're doing the same to you right now. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his right. So Samuel comes back and says, hey guys, like it's all dandy that you want a king, but make sure you know what this means. He's going to take your sons. He's going to form an army, put them in an army. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to make servants out of them. He's going to uh, make you guys farmers, and he's going to tax you. He's going to take the best of your resources, and like always, you're going to end up being wine, winer babies, and you're going to cry out to the God, like God in just a little bit. Okay, So he warns them this, and they literally reply, um, no, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. All right, so I just read a lot, and I got to read a little bit more. So really quick, so Samuel ends up making Saul king of the nation. He anoints Saul. He makes Saul king. Saul comes in and saves the day, and they're having a parade. Saul, Saul, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can. Then Samuel comes, and literally my passage says, Samuel's farewell speech. So Samuel's like, all right, you guys want a different leader? You're going to get one. And so he literally goes, I'm giving you an opportunity. I made, like, Have I made any mistakes as your leader all these years? Because Samuel started um, being God's judge over the nation of Israel a long time ago. He says, do you, do you have anything against me? They say no. And then this is what he says. This is the best part. And this is two months ago when I read this. It was like shocked down my spine. Okay? It says, then Samuel said to the people, it is God who has appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. So he's reminding them of who God has been all this time. He says, now stand here because I'm going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. This is like when your parents use your middle name. He's like, I'm about, I'm about to let you know what's up, right? He's like, I'm about to confront you. That's some strong language, okay? None of you would go talk to like a, like a coworker or someone you are over and like, I'm going to confront you with evidence that you, like, no. Like, he's straight up just telling them how it is. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried out to the Lord for help. And when he says Jacob, he's using Jacob, the father, one of the fathers of Israel. Actually, he's meaning Israel. So when Israel entered Egypt, they cried out to the Lord for the help. And Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought them out of Egypt and settled them in this place, a.k.a. the promised land. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Azor, and into the hands of the Philistines. So basically, he's again recapping. So they made mistakes, sin cycle, and then he says, but then the Lord sent Jerubbaal. I'm not even, I don't even think I said that right, a.k.a. Gideon. I don't know why people have to have two names in the Bible. It's kind of irritating. But anyway, that's Gideon. Barak, um, Jephthah, like, come on, people. Samuel, he's talking about himself in, like, third person. Like, he's saying, I'm, like, he is Samuel. He says Samuel, so it doesn't make sense. So anyway, he's saying, God sent these people to save you. Then this is the part that's, like, spine, spine, something going down your spine. Ready? But when you saw Nahash, the king of the Amorites, um, was moving against you, said, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though God was your king. Now, here's the king you have chosen. And you can just imagine him pointing at Saul, right? Like, here's the, like, the wee little guy that you chose, okay? Now, here's the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set over you a king. If you fear God and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if, you, uh, if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey God and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors, Here's the best part. Now then stand still and see the great thing the Lord is about to do for your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? Which, a.k.a., I think that's supposed to be like May, June, and he's in Israel, and that, it never rains there during, during this time of the year. 
So he says, is it not wheat harvest now? He says, I will call on the Lord. So he's gonna call on God to send thunder and rain when it never rains at this time of the year. So you know it's God. He says, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked. So then Samuel called on the Lord and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain so all the people stood in awe and the Lord um, of the Lord and Samuel. So can you like, just try to put yourself in these shoes. Reading the story does not do it justice. Like they made a big no-no and now God's like showing how powerful he is. Okay, and so what I want you to take away, and we're going to take, I'm going to pull three things out of the story in just a second. What I want you to recognize is that God is so powerful, and he is so in control, and this nation continually tried to push God out of society. And Samuel, before they, they fully dive headfirst into it again, Samuel gives them a confrontation, and in doing so, I think he gives us some reminders as believers today living in a godless society. So would you pray with me real quick? God, I just thank you today um, for the opportunity to speak God, I just pray right now, God, over my words. God, I know that this is a lot to take in. God, and I pray that people's hearts and minds would be open. God, that my words would be clear. God, that people would walk away remembering how good you are. God, I also pray for Pastor Rhonda today. God, as she's away from us, God, I pray that you would just touch her body, be with her and Pastor Kevin emotionally, physically. God, and I just pray again over this cancer, God, that it would be a miracle on the other side, that she would be cancer-free, God. Her body would be completely healthy and whole, and we just thank you for in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Okay, so a couple, uh, I guess it was a little over a month and a half ago on Friday evening, I got home from work. It was April 2nd, and I came in the door, and I decided Allie wasn't home at that point. I decided I wanted to clean the house that night so I didn't have to worry about it the rest of the week, and anyone ever get in that mood where you're like, dude, the house needs to be clean. That was me. So I started going through my ritual, which typically means turning the TV on and listening to a sermon. I think I had turned basketball on at that point, and I don't exactly remember how I stumbled upon this news article, but for some reason I was on my phone, I remember seeing, like, maybe it was like the Apple News app top stories, and one of the stories' titles caught my attention. It was like one of those things where it was like, I don't, I don't check the news, like, very often. I'm not, like, a news guy. It just annoys me and makes me super depressed, so I'm like, I'd rather just focus on Jesus and let everyone else tell me their depression because of the news. I hear it eventually. So anyway, so, right, anyone with me? So I, I read this title, and it was so shocking to me that um, I read the article, and then I actually copy and pasted the link and sent it to PK going, and all I said was, this article is wowza. This article's wowza, and like, that's not a cool word to use. Like, I don't use wowza very often. But when I looked up the definition of wowza, it actually means express astonishment. So I was like, I'm right on the money. I was shocked. Like, in other words, I did not know what to think fully. I had to process. I was, I was kind of speechless, and I found myself going, what is happening? And so I sent him this article, and the title of the article was this. Why America's record godlessness is good news for the nation. Why America's record godlessness is good news for the nation. This is in the LA Times. So if you want to go read it, you can. And I'm not today going to give you context to the whole thing. But I went on and I, uh, I started reading the first, the first paragraph. And if you're like me, this stands out for a number of reasons. But at the core of your identity, you believe that God's the best option that you could ever choose. He's the creator and sustainer of life. So when you read a title as bizarre as this, you immediately go, uh, something's wrong, right? And so I was like, I'm going to read this. So I'm just going to read the opening paragraph. It says this. The secularization of U.S. society, the waning of religious faith, so a.k.a. The, the waning of religious faith, practice, and affiliation is continuing at a dramatic and historically unprecedented pace. While many may consider such a development as a cause for concern, me, such a worry is not warranted. This increase of godliness is Amer uh, in America is actually a good thing to be welcomed and embraced. I was like, wow. 
And so the reason I'm bringing this up to you today is I'm not going to give you context to this. If you want to go read it on your own, and I'm going to do my best not to critique any of his opinions. Like, my job is not to sit up here and go, Phil Zuckerman is completely wrong. Like, that's not what I'm doing. The reason I read this is because you probably recognize it, but I want to show you proof that this is a stance in our country today. There is a stance, I'm not saying everyone hates God or anything like that. There is a stance that thinks God needs to be shoved out the door. And if we are too naive and too ignorant to not pay attention to that, we're going to be in trouble. It's like we learned back in January through March. Storms are inevitable, but preparation is, anyone remember? Optional. Preparation is optional. Obviously, we didn't make an impact on your life. I have to repeat it. No, it's kidding. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to like go, okay, we need to prepare. We need to be thinking about this. We need to go, man, I need to raise my kids different. I need to respond to my coworkers different. I need to wake up every day, and I need to live different. And so that's what I want to help to do. So... My sermon in a sentence today is in a society that is becoming increasingly godless, we need to stay God-centered. In a society that's becoming increasingly godless, we need to stay God-centered. And I believe in the story there's three reminders we can learn from Israel because they're mistakes. They didn't do it right. But we see their mistakes, and we can learn from their mistakes and go, okay, we need to take a different position. So number one this morning is that in a society that is increasingly godless, we need to, number one, remember to keep God as the leader. Turn your neighbor and say, follow the leader. In 1 Samuel 8, 5 through 6, um, again, they come to, come to Samuel and say, you're old, your sons are not following well in your footsteps of leadership, we want a king. Samuel's response is displeasure. It says, then Samuel was displeased to hear this. And when I was doing commentary research, a lot of discussion, actually more than I thought would be, was surrounding Samuel's response. And a lot of people came back to, well, Samuel probably was a little bit personally offended, A, because his children were failing the country, and B, he had led for so long. So when someone comes like, you need, to, you need to scoot out the way, like that's kind of like mean, right? But I think more than anything, Samuel's displeasure didn't come from that. His displeasure came from the fact that he realized once again, Israel was rejecting God as king. They were once again moving God from the place of leadership in their life out the door. And I'm not talking about America. Let me just say this up front. I'm not saying like, we need to go find a pastor and put him as president of the United States. Like, that is not my intention here at all. I'm saying each person personally needs to put God as their leader, okay? And so the crazy part of this whole thing to me is that for a thousand years, there was a thousand years between when Abraham was told by God that he would be a great nation in this point. A thousand years. And for a thousand years, God was the leader of the nation of Israel. Not a man. He used men. He, he put men in places of leadership where those men would come and consult with God and then tell the nation of Israel to do. But up until this point, God was always the king. He was always the leader, right? For years, he did provision, direction, presence. He dropped food from the sky. Like we talked about, he split seas and rivers apart, right? He, he, he um, won them ridiculous victory in battle. He sent plagues that the world has never seen to set them free. Like God is good. God's been leading them. So why on earth after generations would all of a sudden they go, we want a king? And some people go, well, it's because Samuel's sons were failing. No, they were straight up just rejecting God. They were done with how God was leading, and they were moving on a different direction. That's why in 1 Samuel 8, 7, he says, it's not um, that, it's Samuel, it's not you they've rejected. They've rejected me as their king. God knew. He wasn't falling for their, their, their baloney. So this begs the question, if they're rejecting God as their leader, who, what was leading instead? And the more I thought about it, I realized their desires is what was leading them. They were denying God as their leader, and they are instead following their desires. And you ask how I know this, and look at the history of Israel. 
1 Samuel 8, 7 through 8, he says, They rejected me as king as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, forsaking me and serving other gods. Plain and simple, Israel's desires led them away from God to whatever they wanted. They wanted what they wanted when they wanted it, and they always, always let their, their desires lead them. And we can't fault Israel. A lot of times we fault Israel, but we do the same thing. And our society's doing the same thing. And if you go back to the very beginning of Scripture, man did the same thing. The whole reason Eve ate the apple was because she let desire lead over God. I'll show you. We go back to the very beginning. Genesis 1, 1, we all know in the beginning God created. You got it. You got that one. You didn't get the preparation optional one, but it's fine. Ours wasn't scripture. So anyway, God created um, the earth, the universe, the animals, the sky, the sun, the stars. And on the sixth day, he created humanity. And the Bible tells us that God created man in his image. He gave him purpose to fill the earth, to work the land, to take care of it. And he gave them one rule, right? One rule. Genesis 2, 16 through 17. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. And quickly glancing over this, it's really easy to go, God just gave them a do or a don't, right? Like, right? He just gave them a do or don't. But the more I thought about it, God was not just giving them a do or a don't. He was giving them an opportunity to let him lead or their desire lead. Think about it. He was, he was going, I created you. I'm giving you opportunity to submit to my leadership. So it was way more than a do or don't. It was an opportunity to listen what God was telling them to do or not. And obviously we see in the story Genesis 3, 6, 3, 1 through 6, that didn't happen. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals um, that he had made. So he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And right there, Satan is immediately calling into God, um, question God's leadership. Did God really say? Is God really, like, is God really the best leader? Right? That's literally what Satan's saying. He says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say that you must not eat fruit from these trees, right? Don't touch it or you will die. So Satan again attacked God's leadership. He goes, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also what? desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And at this point, sin entered the world. And just like Eve was led by her desires, Israel was led by their desires. And just like both of them were led by their desires, our society is led by its desires. And now we find ourselves in a mess because we have neglected the framework in which God has told us to live by. And we find ourselves facing issues that we should never have faced. When you're looking at some of the largest issues in society today, division, hatred, racism, sexuality, injustice, they all boil down to the fact that mankind has followed their desires rather than following the God who created life and knows every delicate detail of how it works. And so as society continues to be godless, you have to refuse to let your desires drive you. You have to show as an example to the rest of the world and say, God is my leader. God is my king. God is, my, is on the throne of my heart. And I don't want to, again, get political today, but throughout these last 18 months, conversations with other pastors or other strong Christians, I hear so much opinion out of people's mouths, myself included. I speak a lot of opinion, but does that opinion support God's direction for my life? See, there's a, there's a fine line between desire and opinion and actually God's leadership. 
So Galatians 5, Paul tells us, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Does anyone go like, wow, this sounds a lot like a society. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And I go, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, that is what our nation right now is trying to find. They're trying to find justice where racism has run rampant, and it's found in the love and the peace of Jesus, not a leader and not in a different system. It comes down to a heart issue, and I'm already getting out of my second point because that's my second point. What I want you to understand today is it's because everyone has been led by their desires rather than led by the king of kings who created and knows exactly the path we're supposed to take. So the second thing we need to remember in a godless society is that God is the only one who can truly fix humanity's problems. God is the only one who can truly fix humanity's problems. The most interesting thing that stuck out to me this whole story for the longest time is that when I've read it, I always thought that Israel was wrong in wanting a king. Right? Does anyone else think like they should not have wanted a king? Does anyone else read it like that? Or am I the only one? Raise your hand. Like, okay, cool. It's actually not wrong that they wanted a king. The reason why they wanted a king is what's wrong. See, in Deuteronomy 17, I don't have time to read it. Go read it because it's actually really cool. Moses, hundreds of years before this, says, hey, when you get into a land and you want a king, make sure you follow these criteria. So God planned to give them a king. At this point in time, the reason they wanted the king was the issue, not that they um, wanted a king in general. And how many people have heard the phrase before, don't just treat the symptom, fix the problem, right? Don't just treat the symptom, fix the problem. And, like, let me explain it. I got two examples. Um, First one is, like, if you have a cold, the cold's the problem, right? A symptom of the cold is a runny nose. If you just keep wiping your nose with, like, a a tissue, you know that, like, in five minutes you're going to have to come blow your nose or wipe your nose again, right? So if all you're doing is wiping the nose and expecting, expecting all your problems re- regarding the cold to go away, you're wrong. Because the problem is not the, the runny nose. The problem is the cold. The runny nose is a symptom. Does that make sense what I'm saying? On Friday night, we were hanging out with Beth and Zach, actually, um, over for dinner because we haven't hung out with them forever and their family. And so it was just fun to hang out. And we were in the middle of a conversation. I'm quoting you, Zach, by the way. So trust me, I don't, I don't, I don't throw you into the bus for anything bad you said. No, I was kidding. Uh, Zach's awesome, so I'm just messing with him. Anyway, but we were talking about how... Um, in relationships, it's funny how sometimes couples, um, when they fight, all they do is address the symptom. They don't actually address, like, the root problem of the fight, right? They'll come and they'll just go, hey, like, hey, sorry that, like, this happened. But they don't talk about why it happened in the first place. And then you're shocked when two days later you have the same exact fight. Has anyone been in our shoes? And we were talking, and in this, Zach said, he says, it's funny because you think you have fixed the issue, but really you've just put a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. And that's really what's happened is like there's something deep below the surface that's causing a lot more issues and you're just trying to treat the symptom. You're just trying to like get over the fight, right? Does everyone know what I'm talking about? This is what Israel was doing in the story we read today. Because 1 Samuel 8, 8, 19 through 20, it says, We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And when you first hear this, you think it's a general request, right? They want a king to go out and fight their battles, which in many ways is wrong because, again, God was supposed to be fighting their battles. But then you find out there's actually more of a reason behind this. 1 Samuel 12, 12. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. 
And so from this realization, we get a clearer picture of why they wanted a king. They were trying to just fix a symptom, not the problem. And let me explain like this. Israel shouldn't have never, ever, 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 ever been worried about opposing nations harming them, ever. There should not have been worry. Why? Because you back up hundreds of years, you see God over and over and over again promise to them and say, if you follow me, I will fight your battles for you. And so now they're standing here. In Deuteronomy 7, 21 through 22 is one example. He said, and I preached on it in the new year, actually, just like five months ago, four months ago. You're not to be terrified because the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will drive away these nations from you. Talking about the Ammonites. Ammonites was one of those nations. God had already promised. So if this was the promise, then why were they wanting a king? And why were they worried about the Ammonites? Because God's promise was a two-way agreement. He would fight their battles if they followed him. So Israel's problem was not the Ammonites trying to attack them. That was just a symptom of the actual problem. The problem was that their heart was not God's. Does that make sense? A symptom of, 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 of their actual problem was just that they were, their life was falling apart. They were, their, their society was, was coming to ruins. The problem was that they did not give God their heart. And I think I may have lost some of you or I'm just preaching really good. But let me explain it just a little bit further. The problem was not what they faced, but why they faced it in the first place. There was this guy in Salem, Oregon that preached for like a whole year. If you were here, by the name, his name is Pastor Kevin. He said the issue's not the issue. The heart response is the, so, so many people remember, right? The heart's the issue. The issue's not the issue. The heart's the issue. PK, like three, four years ago, knew what he was talking about. Well, before our society got into the last 18 months we experienced. And in the midst of society's greatest problems right now, the issue's not the issue. The heart is the issue. The problems we think we are facing are actually not the problem. They're symptoms of a deeper problem. Racism, for example, as our country fights through and feels the tension of racism, it doesn't come down to a better leader, a better system. It comes down to the American people and Christians saying, God, my heart is not loving like you've called me to those of different ethnicities around me. So I need you to fix my heart. That is the issue. That is the issue. Generation after generation, Racism has been passed down, and people do not are not even aware of, of even sometimes just the hidden racism that's in their heart. Being married to an American Asian woman, I have found myself saying stuff, and Al, I've asked Allie to try to point out. Because like I do not mean it with anything, how I label other ethnicities. I mean nothing by it. But I do not realize that it comes across as racism. And one day, I'm going to have Asian American kids that probably are going to get made fun of for being Asian American, and I'm going to have to figure out how to defend them. And so for me, I go, it's a heart thing. God changed my heart. I love all people. I truly do. I'm not going to let man's issues over the years try to step in from my heart being fixed. We're facing the symptoms of a deep heart issue. Same with sexuality. Sexuality is a huge issue in our country right now. Whether it's homosexuality being promoted or just things being confused or the lack of purity that we should have. And as you look at this, the country has twisted what God meant when he made male and female. It doesn't come down to a different system or an education or different laws. It comes down to the American people going, God, what did you create this for and how can we follow in your plan? It's a heart issue. And so all of your problems, you can get down to the nitty gritty. They all come down to heart issues. And so what I want you to remember is that in this godless society, your job is not to judge and your job is not to try to fix your job is to seek after God to have your own heart changed and then point people to do the same. And I'm not saying stand on the street corner and say turn or burn. I'm saying by your life, 
by how you live with God changing your heart. You're showing an example to the rest of the world. Does that make sense? Third and final point today. I know this is heavy, but you guys are doing good. Hopefully you walk out of here and you'll just, you just want to, I don't know, punch a punching bag. I have no idea. All right. How many need to do something afterwards? Because Anyway, no. Anyway, thir- third point today. Remember that God is not just an option. He is the option. Remember that God is not just an option. He is the option. Some of my favorite passages in Scripture um, come down to um, farewell speeches or, or final speeches of men of God um, that they're leaving on to the, the generation behind them or whatever. And you see a bunch of them. You see Moses, he gives a final speech. You see Joshua, he gives a final speech. Here Samuel gives a final speech. You see Jesus give a final speech before he dies. Then he gets resurrected. He gives another final speech, right? Uh, Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy's Paul's set, like, final letter. It's his final speech to Timothy, right? We see these final speeches. And in all of these speeches, there's such this, this power and authority that is communicated. And I can't help but feel, because this really, Samuel ends up dying chapters later, 1 Samuel 25, and you see him in this process. He anoints David at one point, and he does a few other things here and there. But this is really, like in Scripture, his final address to the whole nation. And so on top of calling him out, and calling them out, and on top of reminding them of God's faithfulness, I feel like, the, the summary of what he says is, hey, don't forget God's always your best option. God's always your best option. And when again, when I read this a couple months ago, this part of the scripture is what hit me so hard and is why I wanted to preach this message. 1 Samuel 12, 12 through 19. I know I already read it, but really focusing on these words. I'm gonna read it one more time. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here's the king you have chosen. Again, I just can't help but like Saul's over there in the corner. You know what I mean? Like, look, this guy. You're celebrating this guy, right? Because First Samuel 11, they're like, woohoo, Saul, Saul, he's our man. If he can't do it, no, I can. He's like, remember, this is the guy you chose, okay? And then he says, um, don't forget that the Lord has set this king over you. If you fear the Lord and you serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey God and if you rebel against his, his commands, Um, his hand will be against you as it was before. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what evil thing you did in asking for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord in that same day. Can you just imagine that? On the spot, probably clear as day, probably sunny outside, and all of a sudden, clouds roll in, thunder starts roaring, torrential downpour. And in that moment, All of the nation of Israel went, oh my goodness, our God is so powerful. And all you can feel, when I read this passage, I'm getting goosebumps right now telling you. I can sense the conviction in Samuel's voice saying, do not ever turn away from the God who created you. Do not neglect him. He is the king on the throne. And you have to think about like what the responses were. Saul probably wanted to resign at that point, right? He was like, I'm out. See you guys, God's good. Like Saul did not want to like stay in this position. And we know Saul ended up making a mistake a few, few like, few, or next chapter, I think. I don't know how many years it was, but Saul obviously forgot how good God was because he just completely ignored God and did his own thing. But can you also imagine the people? The text says, they said, like Samuel, pray to us that God would not let us die. We recognize who God is. We recognize him. And so today, at, in closing, after everything I've said, yes, we're living in a godless society, but don't forget who your God is. He's your best option. 
We talked about it a couple weeks again, or weeks ago, um, and I'm going to talk about it again today. You have to think about eternity, and that right now this life leads to eternity, but it's not eternity. And so we cannot get so caught up in the drama of what's happening around us. We have to stay with our eyes fixed on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so today in closing, I want, I'm just going to ask Gideon to, to dim the lights today. And I want to just give an opportunity, three responses. And this may be something right now, like you, you are in your own heart just needing to pray for something. But I want to give an opportunity for three responses. And the first one salvation this morning. So with eyes, eyes closed, head bowed, is there anyone in here that just says, hey, I've not made Jesus the king on the throne of my heart, and I want, I want to accept him as Lord and Savior? Anyone today? No? Okay, well, I'm going to pray just in case online audience wants to pray this prayer. So online audience in the congregation here, just pray this with me. Dear God, we thank you for your grace, God, and for sending your son to die for us. And we pray right now, God, that you would come into our hearts and shift who we are and make it into who you want us to be. We believe that your son died on the cross for our sins. And so we give those sins to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. And then the next two responses is I want to give I want to pray for encouragement for some of you who maybe felt depressed by the situations going on around us. All the COVID stuff that's continuing to happen, again, the sadness of the division and hatred within our country. Maybe you just felt overwhelmed by it, and I just want to pray for encouragement. So again, with um, eyes closed, head bowed, anyone raise their hand and sneeze encouragement? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. A lot of you. Cool. God, I just pray right now for each one of these ones that feels discouraged. God, I pray right now, God, they would remember without a doubt that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you are the best option. God, that in a moment, God, you can do what we cannot do in lifetimes. God, that we can stand and worship the King of kings who is in control, that loves us, and he's going to work all things together for our good. And this this, um, light and momentary affliction is is just a journey to the other side, God, to eternity. God, so I pray for encouragement to those discouraged hearts right now. In Jesus' name. And the final response today is I want to pray, or I want to ask if anyone says, hey, I want more boldness to live for Jesus. And when I say boldness, I'm not saying, again, turn or burn on the street corner. I'm saying that you let Jesus dominate your life. How you live it, why you live it, why you say it, why you do it. So if that's someone in here, could you just raise your hand today? I just want to pray over that this morning. Thank you for that too. God, I pray right now over each individual, God, as they walk out of this building today, God, that just like Peter and John and all the disciples prayed for boldness after their first time of persecution, after you left left the church in Acts 3, 4, and 5, somewhere in there, God, we pray for that same boldness today to speak the words that we need to speak, to act the way that we need to act, God, and right now we all submit, God, we come against letting our opinions drive us, God. We come against letting um, political narratives drive us, God. And today we say we want to be driven and bold to live for the King of Kings, the one who's leading our life, the one who knows how life should be. And we just thank you for that today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just sing this chorus one more time. Lord, send revival. And Lord, send revival. And Lord, send it now. A move of your spirit, heaven break out. Come now in power, come 
cover this land like you've done it. One more time, just declare it from your heart today. Make it your prayer. Lord, send of your spirit heaven break come now with power cover this land like you've done it before God today we just make this our prayer God we say God send revival God send it now God, and I just pray, God, that we as Christians, God, you would lead us by your Holy Spirit to find new ways to pierce through the darkness. God, that we would know how to act and the words to say that would engage people with the truth of your love. God, help us to be vessels that show love, not vessels that show judgment. God, and I just pray right now for each person, God. And I just thank you. I thank you for what you're going to do in Relevant Life Church in the days ahead. God, I pray that we would always be a beacon of hope God, a, a relevant beacon that speaks to the issues of this day, God, and steps in and says, God, we want to see you move. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Church, with that, you're dismissed. Thanks for coming today. Encourage someone on your way out. Meet someone new, and we'll see you in the weeks to come. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.